Welcome to the Food Matters Live podcast, where we showcase the innovations, the big ideas and the visionaries in the food industry. We dig deep, we look to the future and the past, and we question everything that we think we know about food. I'm Stephen Gates. I'm a food science writer, TV presenter and gastronaut. And this edition is made in partnership with Puratos. So today we're looking at fibre in our diets. And the fact is we're not getting enough of it. And that lack of fibre is contributing to health problems. Now, there used to be a view that fibre didn't really do much, that our bodies couldn't digest it and it just sailed through. But now, because of a wealth of scientific research, that view has been pretty comprehensively debunked. And we're learning more and more about its benefits, which leads to the question, how can we get more fibre into our diet? And which innovations are out there in the food industry to help us do that? And that's where a company like Puratos comes in. Puratos makes innovative products for bakery and patisserie. And I'm delighted to be joined by James Slater, Director of Research and Development for Puratos UK. Hello there, James. Hi there. We also have Raluca Florea, who is Gut Health Leader in Health and Wellbeing at Puratos. Hello there, Raluca. Hello, Stefan. And we also have Phil Metcalf, Managing Director of Biopower Technologies, a company that specialises in the micronization of food side streams and arable biomass. Hello there, Phil. Hi, Stefan. Great to have you all with us. Now, uh, let's start off by setting out the problem here, the problem that we aren't eating enough fibre. Um, James, is this an issue beyond the UK? Are all countries facing a similar problem? Uh, yes, I think is the short answer. There are countries all across Europe which are facing a similar challenge. The, in the UK, the Government Scientific Advisory Committee on Nutrition sets the target for 30 grams. And adults in the UK are consuming about 20 grams at the moment of fibre a day. This is pretty similar to what we see across Europe and the US and in some parts of Asia as well. Um, so a lot of the countries that we have data for are setting targets of around 25 to 30 grams a day. Very few countries are actually attaining that. We see very similar numbers across most of Western Europe, so we're about 20 grams a day, so well below that 30 gram target. The US is a little bit lower, it's around 15 grams, and there are some countries which are doing much better. We see in the Baltics uh, and the Nordics, they tend to have a higher consumption of fibre generally, but a lot of countries are facing this challenge, yes. Yeah, and and these are all countries with different diets, different cultures and history of food and all these the different aspects of what food is. So what are the reasons behind this widespread lack of fibre in our diets? Why, why aren't we eating enough? It's a good question. I think a lot of it comes down to how habits and food culture has shifted. So I think if we go back traditionally, people would have eaten a lot of fresh fruit and vegetables. So these are whole plants and a lot of the fibre is in the outside of these fruits and vegetables. As heating habits and shopping habits have changed, we've got into the, the habit of buying regular products which come from brands and places that we know. And we've lost some of the seasonality as well. So the diversity in our diet has decreased a little bit. Also, the, the consumption of whole fruit and vegetables has shifted quite a bit. So as we've gone towards products which are easier to consume, available more throughout the year, have a better shelf life and possibly kind of better supply chains and food safety, we've lost some of that habit of eating seasonal whole fruit, whole vegetables. And I think that's led to some of the decrease in the fibre that we see. Okay, so so that's the extent of the problem. Um, Raluca, why is this a problem? Why is a lack of fibre in our diet an issue? So, Stefan, indeed, we, we hear a lot of eat my fibre, it's good for you. That is a dietary advice we 
all heard it before. But why fiber is good for us and uh, how much fiber we should eat and indeed if we are reaching the, the level that is needed in order to sustain our health. So it is quite known that dietary fiber has an important role in the maintenance of a healthy digestive system. That is established not only by the scientific community but also recognized and accepted by the consumers. So that was also reflected by Purato's proprietary Taste Tomorrow consumer research, where it was also shown that Europeans, more than 83% of them, believe that fibers have a positive impact on digestion. Now, from having this belief to the actual consume, indeed, there is a gap. Because only in UK, it has been seen that uh, the actual consume to be even less than the recommended. And not even 90% of people actually do manage to have the recommended daily intake. While adequate fiber intake is associated with health benefits, also poor fiber intake is a risk factor for several diseases, including diabetes, heart diseases, or even colon cancer. And moreover, it is estimated that at European level, more than 100,000 deaths are linked yearly with poor amounts of fiber in our diets. So a lack of fiber actually means that we are missing on our health benefits and increase the risk of developing certain diseases. Okay. Now, Phil, let's bring you in here. So, so what's the solution that you're working on at Biopower? So if you look at the wider market, there's, there's lots of fiber out there, but a lot of it is actually sidestream from food processing. And you see a lot of industrial processes, whether that's in the juicing sector, whether that's in uh, food production, where the fiber components don't fit to the nice white powder sort of approach to, to food production. And so we've taken the approach of being able to take those materials and using our proprietary technology, convert them into a digestible flour. And whilst we were doing it, we actually started to notice that that if you change using a mechanical process, the format of the fiber, the fiber becomes more digestible, has much better opportunity for microbes and digestion. And so what we've been looking at is how do you achieve products that people really want to eat, but actually converting the side streams that already exist both in the UK and across the European Union. Okay, well, that's that's a fascinating way to go about it, and, and I love the idea that that there's something positive being done with side streams as well. So it's, it's all quite exciting for me. But Raluca, let's get into the detail of what fibre can do for us. So we've heard what a lack of it can can cause problems with, but what what about what fibre does for us? What are its main functions? So. Indeed, Stefan, you mentioned that fiber, it's not just, let's say, an inert material and it does just not pass through our digestive system just like that without having actually any health benefits. And although our cells cannot digest or absorb those fibers, uh, as Phil mentioned, in our gut, our gut microbiota or our flora, gut microflora, actually can take advantage of the presence of this fiber and feed on them and in return giving us certain molecules which will bring us health benefits. 
But the benefit of dietary fiber is beyond digestion, as I mentioned. It is recently shown and research is fast evaluating and with a lot of excitement from the researchers and the community that it's beyond the digestion, from immune support to regulating metabolism, to preventing heart diseases by maintaining low cholesterol or blood sugar or maintaining or help us maintaining a healthy normal weight or even reducing the risk of cancer, dietary fiber is now seen as a key to unlock numeral health benefits beyond digestion. And there are, there are very different types of fibre as well, aren't they? Do the different types of fibre have different effects on our bodies? So indeed, not all fibres are created equally. They actually differ in their physical and chemical properties and will act differently on your body depending on those properties. So simply put, there are few types of fibre based on those properties or characteristics. They can be soluble, so they can be easily dissolvable in water, or insoluble or have a viscous or gel-like property. So for example, soluble uh, fiber mix will mix with water and slow digestion, so it will take longer for your body to absorb certain molecules like sugar uh, from the foods you're eating. Other type of fibers like soluble viscous ones can make gelatinous like structures or meshes where they will trap fat or sugar molecules, so will help delay or diminish the absorption in our bloodstream. The consume uh, of this type of fiber, it's associated with decrease of uh, risk of heart diseases or decreased cholesterol and, and, and blood sugar levels. Uh, maybe an example of such fibers is beta-glucan found in, in, in grains, which is very well known to have a role in decreasing cholesterol. Another type of fibers are insoluble fibers, and they do play a role because while they are in our digestive system uh, and what they pass through our digestive system, they take our water and they help this way to move waste through our intestines. They also have the capacity to attract and this way swipe off some toxins or possible cancerogens from our digestive system, hence play a preventive role in, in, in colon cancer. So an example of such fiber are celluloses. But there are more additional benefits of dietary fiber, particularly of the soluble ones. And that is, as I mentioned, they feed our uh, beneficial microbes in the gut. And this in exchange will give us health promoting compounds such as short chain fatty acids, which in exchange they will give us uh, important benefits for our general health. So I'm interested in these dietary functions and how they translate into health outcomes. So can they affect both physical and mental health? Indeed, Stefan, fibres have many benefits, including recently established a link with a mental health area. Very recent and exciting research suggests, uh, uh, let's say, a strong relationship between dietary fibre consumption and mental health, linking dietary fibre intake and positive effects on depression and anxiety and just general physiological distress. Interestingly, uh, several clinical st uh, studies have also shown the association between fiber intake and the reduction of these conditions. But how actually fiber influences mental health or the mechanism by 
which does so is not yet fully elucidated, but it seems to have indeed a role or a link with our gut microbiota, because while feeding on those fibers, they release molecules like short-chain fatty acid, for example, butyrate, which has an anti-inflammatory effect, and also uh, the anti-inflammatory effect is linked to, let's say, uh, mental health. And they also release certain, let's say, uh, so-called happiness hormones, such as serotonin or, or uh, dopamine, which have an effect as neurotransmitters. And then they have been also shown to lower certain stress hormones like cholesterol levels, hence reducing anxiety and different, uh, as I mentioned, mental uh, distress conditions. Okay, so James, consumers are pretty sophisticated these days. Most people realise that they should probably be eating a bit more healthy. So to what extent are consumers looking for higher fibre products? I think to a large extent, as Maluka mentioned earlier, uh, Piratos did some consumer research in 2021 uh, called Taste Tomorrow, where 80% of UK consumers said they were interested in higher fibre products. Uh, we also saw in that that two thirds of UK consumers were interested in products that improve their gut health. So I think it's fair to say that a large majority of consumers are definitely interested in, in those kind of products. I think one of the challenges we're facing is, is the complexity and the nuance with fibre. And as Raluca just I think explained pretty well, it's quite a complicated topic. So we've got a couple of factors like is it soluble, insoluble, is it viscous, non-viscous? But then we start to get into the very specific names and nomenclature for fibres. And I think there's some education for the consumers and perhaps some, some simplification of what we call fibre and the words that we use to describe fibre as well. Um, what we're seeing at the moment, I suppose ironically, is that although there is a big demand for it and consumers are, are looking for it, we're not seeing that really translate into launches on the market. So I had a look at some Innova Market Insights data, the level of launches of kind of high fibre or gut health uh, products in the bakery sector have been pretty flat since about 2017. So although lots of consumers are looking for that, there doesn't seem to be new products coming onto the market to meet that demand, which is which is a great opportunity. Um, and it's you know an opportunity for us and people like Philip Biopower as well to explore that and see how we can help. Mm. Well, let's talk a little bit about the collaboration with Biopower. How did that come about? And, and what are the aims of the collaboration? Yeah, so that came about um, as a bit of an accident, as a lot of these things do. So in 2019, one of my colleagues from Belgium head office was traveling in Africa. He was looking for new microbiomes. So we do some research looking into kind of bacterial presence and use and fungi in, in the native environments. And he, he happened to meet somebody from the University of Leeds. Um, and they were working on this project of, um, which is bizarre. So they were both in Africa, a Belgian person and a French lady who is at Leeds. Um, and they were working on ways to do affordable nutrient enrichment in African foods. So although there's loads and loads of really fantastic um, fruit and vegetables grown in Africa, there's still a real uh, kind of calorific and a protein and a fiber lack in African diets. And what we were trying to do was find a way to make that affordable. So through that connection, the people at the University of Leeds put us in touch with Phil, who was working on this project. Phil had a project that, at that time to see if he could help uh, some of the food waste streams in Africa be recovered and transformed into nutrient-rich ingredients for the African market. And at that point, uh, there was an Innovate UK, so a government-funded research focus on collaboration between the UK and Africa, looking at kind of protein and nutrient enrichment. And that's how we got involved with Phil. And Phil, why did Biopower become involved in this collaboration? What, what, what was the advantage from your side? 
So we've been making dietary fibers for quite a few years now. And, and one of the challenges is that whilst, you know, a lot of the industry says, yes, 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 we want fiber. What they actually want is a white packet that they can put into their product and, and actually declare it as fiber and, and simplicity and shelf life stability. And so when you actually look into the industry for us, we were able to identify sources and of, of industrial scale because one of the challenges is cost as well. And can you can you produce something at scale? And so we developed a solution to produce dietary fibers at scale. And then the question becomes, you need to have strategic partners, which would allow you to to scale those into the market. And that's where the collaboration really came about. And the first uh, collaborative attempt with uh, Innovate UK had the attempt at fiber in pastry. And one of the, uh, you're not always successful in grants, but one of the amusing comments was, there's nothing healthy about pastry. Um, and so that kind of just abused us slightly. And we moved on. And, uh, and in the COVID era, uh, we secured some Innovate UK funding, for which we were incredibly grateful. But what it allowed us to do was to go from the source all the way through to finished products and consumer trials to be able to demonstrate source of fiber and high fiber applications. And I think one of the things that sort of triggered with James and I was that we both had this view of nudge nutrition. You know, if people listen to the guidance, people would all be buying wholemeal bread. I don't buy wholemeal bread because I personally don't like it. I prefer seeded or other other bread types. So how do you get source of fiber? How do you get high fiber? In, in essence, a chorley wood, a white roll format that that's really exciting, really usable. But for for cost conscious consumers who go into the supermarket and want to pick up, you know, the standard product. And I think that that nudge nutrition aspect you know, was certainly one of the reasons why, you know, our relationship with, with Paratus became became actually really interesting for us and, and hopefully Paratus as well. Oh, yeah, 100%. And health and well-being is one of the key drivers of what we want to do in, in Paratus. And as Bill said, increasing fibre everywhere through this nudge nutrition approach is something that we've been exploring for quite a while. Bill's idea and the, the processes in place would enable us to make good fiber available to everybody in an affordable way and then we could help to deliver some of the systems that make that actually usable for um, the industry and for consumers so it was a really great opportunity to work synergistically on that yeah absolutely so let's talk about the product so phil max fiber how does it work how is it developed so max fiber takes a, a side stream product so one example would be apple skins and you take the apple skins from the juicing industry and today they get pelletized, they get turned into animal feed or into lower grade applications. So we were able to take them from source to then convert them into a flour. So one of the problems is once you dry fibers, they become gritty, they become hard, and people have this kind of rejection for mouth feel and taste. And we have a proprietary milling technology, which is different to conventional ball milling. Conventional ball milling crushes material but we actually tear the material apart. So we're trying to create long, thin fibers. We're trying to create things that reflect a large surface area. And some years ago, we identified in anaerobic digestion that actually the microbes could grow really well on these much larger fibers. So if you think about 
something with a very large surface area gives more space and opportunity for the microbes to grow. And the crushed, dense materials of ball milling tend to have a smaller surface area and are less accessible for those aspects. So when you then apply that to gut health and to gut microbiome that we see, we're taking something that's natural, we're converting it using a mechanical process, we don't use chemicals, we don't use any synthetic processing, so it's processed, but it's not ultra processed. And it then allows us to go back to saying, well, actually, you as, a, as an industry, um, you can take a product. It's got a long, stable shelf life and you could use it like you would your bag of flour. But actually what it does is it delivers that whole grain, whole nutritional product back into your diet. So it is a way of reintroducing things that because of industrial processing, we've neglected for years. And now because of food security and the need to have uh, more fiber and more components in the diet, this represents a really interesting opportunity. Mm. And the sourcing of this is, is really interesting. So, Raluca, you're using side stream products from distilleries, cereal milling, fruit processing. And I wonder, does the source matter when it comes to fiber? Does it matter both the source and how we consume it? Well, we just heard that uh, not all fibers are the same. So fiber diversity is extremely important because they have these physical chemical properties that uh, are also then influencing the health benefits they would give. Uh, and indeed, beyond the normal type of, of plant foods that we are having, such as grain, cereals, vegetable, nuts, and so on, side stream represent a really valuable source of fiber. And as Phil mentioned, they can be processed to actually change these physical chemical properties and to transform them or tailor them towards a certain type of uh, applications, either, you know, towards transit to be more insoluble or to enhance their solubility and have them then, uh, let's say, feed for our microbiota or enrich our microbiota diversity. So sidestream valorization of fibers can be incorporated in many food applications, bakery, drinks, chocolates, and, and, and so on, as, as James just mentioned. So given this, let's say, difference or, or gap between the needed fiber intake and the actual intake that uh, a population has, we believe that sidestream uh, valorization in terms of fibers have a definitely added value when it comes to enriching uh, potential of fruits. So in the end, uh, let's say side streams are a, a very uh, a great source and it matters not necessarily the source, but the processing of those fibers to reach to those health benefits. Yeah. And let's talk a bit about practical usage issues here. So, James, what are the main challenges when you're reformulating to increase fibre? There are two main challenges. Um, both of them have already been alluded to, I think, by, by Fenner Maluka. So Phil mentioned earlier that he doesn't eat whole meal and whole brand bread because he doesn't like the taste. So there's definitely a taste of high fibre products. Um, I don't think that's true of all fibres. So the fibre itself can carry particular um, flavours or aromas. So selection of fibre can be really interesting in that. If we get the right fibres, using them in the right way, 
There's also a challenge around um, their actual functional properties. So as Raluca mentioned earlier, they have an impact on solubility and solubility. Do they create viscous uh, kind of gums and networks or not? And when we're formulating products, we have to take those things into account. So first and foremost, we know that we can make health and well-being products, products that are better for you. But if they don't taste good, nobody's going to eat them. So we're wasting our time. Um, the other challenge that we have is if we're using fibres um, or fibre-like products which bind water, which bind cholesterol, as Rudy mentioned, they do the same thing in a cake batter or in a bread dough. So that can change the way that that, that cake batter is made, the way that the cake batter is cooked. It can change the way the dough is handled um, either by a baker or in a factory. So we have to make sure that we very carefully select and blend those fibres and use them in the right way. Inversely, that could also be a massive benefit because every challenge is an opportunity, every risk is an opportunity. So if we flip that around, it also gives us an opportunity to bring in new flavours um, so we can select things we have got interesting flavour. Some of the work that we've done with Phil's um, apple fibre brings a little bit of kind of sweet, fruity, caramelised, multi flavours to things. That can be really interesting. And also their ability to hold on to water um, and to bind water in special ways can actually help with the shelf life of products. Um, so by holding on to that water, we can keep the product uh, fresher for longer. Um, and we can also change the texture so they can act on the way that a cake batter is actually baked, meaning that we get a more indulgent feeling product by adding the fiber rather than by adding fat. So we're really starting to understand that and explore it more at the moment. So there's challenges, but opportunities as well. Yeah. And looking to the future, what are the gut health trends to look out for in, well, 2023 and beyond, really? Yeah, (laughs) that's a difficult question to answer. I think what I'm seeing at the moment is like what I would call the evidence of biotics everywhere. I remember when I was 18, I used to work in Sainsbury's um, stacking shelves. And I remember the Yakult products being the first probiotics from the shelf. And we used to see probiotics in primarily dairy applications for a long time. Now we're starting to see prebiotics, we're starting to see postbiotics. And I think we're starting to understand that more than just live cultures can be good for you. We can feed our gut bacteria. Even when the bacteria die, they can do good things. And I think what we're going to see is an understanding of that whole chain of influence from what we feed the things in our gut, what that does to us, and how we can make positive changes to all of the foods that we eat. So it's not going to be limited to a probiotic dairy food that we consume, like a, a probiotic yogurt, which is something which is fantastic for you as well. But we might be able to make prebiotic drinks we've seen come onto the market. We might be able to make postbiotic sourdoughs where the bacteria that's in a sourdough naturally have been uh, denatured or killed by the process, but they're still really good for you. And then I think we're going to see very targeted micronutrient enrichment in those areas. So today there's already some evidence that links uh, calcium fortification with gut health. I think we're going to see more and more things like that. So we're going to be able to choose products that we love and that are delicious and are also good for our gut health. So that's what I'm excited about seeing. Exciting times, exciting times. Um, now, you're carrying more work out in, in, in the gut health area. And I wondered, well, it's a question for all three of you, really, um, starting with you, James, which research and which research areas are you most excited about? Um, in the gut health area, for me, I think the most interesting thing is actually this work that we're doing on fibre and fibre selection. I think for a, a super long time, we have only been able to talk about fibre and gut health in very targeted areas. And I think with the work that Raluca is doing in classifying and helping us to understand what fibre does and the work that Phil's doing and being able to find new fibre sources and really make them available for us, I'm really excited to see 
how that is going to come together. So I think at the moment we're working at the two ends and we're just starting to join up that bit in the middle. And I'm really excited to see what new flavors, new textures, new benefits we're going to be able to create in the two, three years to come as, as the research helps us to really classify, identify and source those fibers and put them into application. I think it's going to be really great to see what happens there. Yeah, absolutely. And Raluca, what about what, what about from your point of view? Which research are you most excited about? Oh, I'm very much excited by gut health <laughs> uh, and the research. But I would say gut health and the microbiome are areas that of research that are extremely, extremely fast evolving. And we get to have a really good understanding or we begin to have a a good understanding of this relationship between the bacteria in our gut, our digestive uh, system and the nutrition. And how can we somehow, let's say, tailor those towards uh, improving our health or hopefully, let's dream big, later towards a curative way. But when it comes to fibers, I would say I'm particularly interested in the research on functional fibers. And when we touched a bit upon today on that. So functional fibers, you know, as the name just says, they are fibers which are extracted from different sources, including side streams. And they are defined by a specific functional, as James said, maybe a sweetening agents or because of their gelling properties or a specific health benefit. So this way they could be tailored indeed to to enhance that specific benefit via processing or uh, um, via enzymatic activity, for example. So it is possible to change those chemical properties and physical properties of those fibers to enhance them and tailor towards a specific benefit. So the emergence of novel fibers with a studied mechanism on how it actually acts on our health uh, has the opportunity to not only, uh, let's say, add them and increase the fiber content, but to actually target health benefits and somehow personalize uh, fiber intake towards the right health indication. I'm hoping the future, that future is going to be soon. Well, that'd be amazing to see, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And and Phil, finally for you, what, what research are you most excited about? So strangely, I'm kind of in a, in a slightly different way. And we started with, you know, we've got 18 different potential products that we can bring to market. We've got some really interesting things. But the first step that we did is we're doing a piece of work with Aberdeen University on comparing processing methods to how do you get the best into the gut microbiome for the microbes to grow? And this has proved some really exciting outputs for us in terms of showing demonstrably that the micronization process has significant advantages in growth of microbial clusters. The follow-on piece of work that we're particularly interested in is then looking at categories of gut microbes and seeing which fibers are pre, post, accelerators of different types of gut health. So as your personal gut evolves over time, you may have had a deficiency of particular types of fibers, and you may then respond better to certain types of fiber. And I think the same also occurs of people's uh, gut microbe clusters change over time. And so do you need to have them more in balance or do you need them to be 
you know, accelerated in some areas. And I think that understanding from a genomics perspective is something that I think is is not really understood in any meaningful way. And what we're starting to see is that fiber uh, is really just a feedstock for gut microbes. And if we can present it to those microbes in a highly digestible, highly consumable format and done at scale. So if you think about, you know, there are there are two billion kilos of bread being bought every year in the UK by almost everybody. If you can just nudge a small percentage on a regular basis, the net impact on the populace goes way beyond education in the sense of everybody knows we should eat fiber. Um, what we need to do is now actually make products that are exciting, you know, and deliverable and then support that with real science, you know, and, and that's where I think, you know, gut omics in the future uh, are really where tailored nutrition are going. Yes, I was going to mention precision nutrition and things like that. Um, and so, Phil, last question really is for you. What's on the horizon for biopower? So we're in the we're in the process of scaling up. So we've got some really exciting opportunities. Uh, this is really just the first wave of opportunities for us, looking at breads and bakery products. Uh, we've been doing some work in sources and other additional areas where water, fat binding, and the non-tangible functional characteristics of, of uh, fruit and vegetables come in. So, for example, we've been doing some work on brassicas because the sulfonates particularly good for your health, particularly good for anti-cancer properties, and being able to basically hide them in sources and into other products, I think are really exciting for how you know we can evolve food in a way that it's not an e-number, it's actually a real vegetable. I love the sound of that. If you can squeeze some uh, some more vegetables into kids' food as well, that'd be great. Um, okay, well, that was all absolutely fascinating. Um, great to talk to you all, and, and I've learned so much about it as well. So James Slater, Raluca Florea, and Phil Metcalf, thank you all so much for joining me. Thank you very much. Thank you, Stefan, for having us. Thank you very much, Stefan. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode made in partnership with Puratos. If you did, there are hundreds more at foodmatterslive.com. Remember, if you enjoy the Food Matters Live podcast, you can subscribe via your preferred platform. And if you feel inclined, why not leave us a review? Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm.